You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. I, I chose to proceed to the route because when, when I was getting my foot surgery last year, I went to the city like basically once a week for six months. And when you get lost in Manhattan, especially when you're in traffic, you could be going so slow that the GPS hasn't figured out that you're on the wrong road because you're next to the right road, but you can't get to it. And there's a point where it gets confused and series like proceed to the route. And you're like, that's why I have you. Like, you're on because I don't know where the route is. And it's like this very like frustrating moment when you are very close to the right way, but you're not, and you're, you know you're about to get lost. And that's what I wanted to talk to the men about is there's two kinds of lostness. There's being lost in terms of not knowing the Lord yet. That's what we call cosmic lostness. Like, when you got saved and you entered a relationship with Jesus, in that moment you realized that you were lost and now you're found. But you didn't know you were lost before. When you met him, then you look back and say, oh my gosh, I was lost, but now I'm found. Once found by him, then there's a daily reality. You've heard me say this over the last couple of weeks where he's constantly having to find us. We're constantly going astray, and he's constantly having to find us. And you, we know the story that, that I'm speaking from. It's the third time I'm speaking from it now, where Jesus is at a party, and there's tax collectors and sinners there, and grumblers come and complain that he's with tax collectors and sinners, and he tells the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd goes to find it, and the parable of the lost coin. And what really stood out to me, what jarred my spirit to talk to the men was what I said last week and today, that the sheep were already part of the fold when they were lost. And the coin, especially the coin, the coin was lost in the house it was supposed to be in. And I had this thought while I was preaching two weeks ago that it may be the most frightening place when you get lost in an area that's familiar to you. And so there's the large lostness, which is we don't know the Lord. We have to seek and save the lost. But then there's this day-to-day lostness where either in your faith with God, your relationship with God, or in your own self, or in the community of people that you live with, that you're close with, that you work with, all of a sudden you have this sense, the way I described it to the men was you're in the place you're supposed to be, but you just feel like you can't sit down. I'm in myself, but I feel like I can't take a seat, I can't relax in myself, there's something anxious happening in me, or... I know that the Lord loves me and I love the Lord, but all of a sudden I feel like I can't find what I was able to find. I feel like I'm just wandering in my relationship with God, like can't sit down. Or in, even like in our own home with our own families and things like that, little changes, changes of seasons, and all of a sudden it's like I'm where I'm supposed to be, I'm with who I'm supposed to be with, but why, why, why can't I feel like I'm, I can relax? And so there's like these little momentary losty kind of feelings that we can have. And part of our romance with the Lord is how the surprising ways that he always finds us. And so in order to experience that, we have to know what does it mean? How do I, the the beginning of being found is saying I'm lost. Which, as I said this morning, for guys, a little bit harder. Like, I had to really convince them, like, guys, we really don't know directions to our own house from here, probably, let alone anywhere. Um, and so, we'll, before I show this video that I have, we will talk about this. Jesus 
is the fully found one. Ian, if you could put that slide up, that Jesus is the fully found one. Jesus lives the life of what it means to be fully found. And there's three very easy ways to see this. Number one, Jesus is located in the Trinity, and he knows he is. And one simple goodness that comes from this is simply that when Satan says, if you are the Son of God, Jesus doesn't bat an eye. When who he is is questioned, he doesn't get anxious, he doesn't get nervous, he doesn't turn stone into bread. At no point in the, in the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness does it even indicate that he's upset. He's fully, he's dismissing this like dust off of his shoulder because he knows, he, he knows who his father is and he's, he's located himself there. You can't say to me, I won't respond to if statements. I know who I am. He's located in himself. This one's important because when Jesus looked at the broken bread, he saw his body that was going to be broken. And it didn't alarm him because he knew that his calling was to be broken bread. So when he saw things fall apart, he didn't lose himself because he knew when he saw the marks of what would seem like his ministry failing, he knew himself enough to know this is what I was destined for. And so the brokenness never computed in his mind that I must have lost my way or I have to fix this or this shouldn't happen. He looked at the broken bread, saw his own body as broken and said, this is like John 6, I am the bread that comes from heaven. So when Jesus is consumed, he doesn't feel used. He doesn't feel tossed aside because he was located in himself. And finally, he was located in his community. He was able to be himself around people that were not like him because he knew who he was supposed to be around. He was, uh, you know, as Ian always talks about, he was reclining at the table with people who were so not in his image, taxing people, sinning people, grumbling people, and then even worse than those three groups, his own disciples, right? Like, they were just totally off. But Jesus was comfortable in that space, even in re being rejected, because he, he was located. When we can't locate ourselves in the Lord, in our own self or in our community, we get jarred and tossed around by the, all these different things that happen, and we basically become the product of the next thing that happens. If it's good, we feel great. If it's not, we feel like we're just being like that pirate ship from Playland. Just back and forth we go, back and forth we go. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about how do you know that you're dealing with some sort of small daily lostness? Because I think before we talk about like what it means to be found, being able to say, and this is something that Jacqueline's been talking about, I've been talking about, being able to say the truth. I do feel lost in my walk with the Lord. I believe in Him, but I can't sit down in it. I just can't find that footing that makes me feel secure in it. We have to say the truth. And I, it's probably easier for you all to agree than that. Like, say the truth. What are you talking about? This is radical. You know? Like, so, we're going to show a quick video, and then I'm going to talk about how do we know that we're lost. But I would love it to be interactive. So, if you have any thoughts, any questions, anything to add, literally interrupt me, raise your hand. 
I got enough here for a long time or a short time. So I, I want it to be a little bit of a back and forth while I'm talking. But in this video that we're going to show, it's from a movie called Goodwill Hunting. And we did our best to bleep out the curses, but I think Ian missed some. That's not my fault. I said bleep out the curses. It's the guy with the beard. If it didn't work out. Sandy, his fault. In this scene, Will Hunting, played by Matt Damon, is talking to Sean McGuire, played by the late and great Robin Williams. And Robin Williams wants to counsel Will. And Will does not want to enter into it because he doesn't want to be found. Because he's afraid. And the way that Sean, Robin Williams, the way that he navigates his way into speaking to Will in a way where he can finally accept it is so close to the way that the Holy Spirit wants to enter our life. So I thought it would be a great clip for this. So what's this? Taste his choice moment between guys? This is really nice. You gotta think this one because it's like a fetish and something like that we need to devote some time to. I thought about what you said to me the other day about my painting. I stayed up half the night thinking about it. Something occurred to me. I fell into a deep, peaceful sleep and I haven't thought about you since. You know what occurred to me? You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. Why, thank you. Tell me. You've never been out of Boston. Nope. If I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo. I know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? But you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. Seen that. If I ask you about women, you'd probably give me a silver say your personal favorites. You may have even been laid a few times. feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. When I ask you about war, you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watch him gasp his last breath but into you for Through anything, through cancer, 
and you would know about sleeping sitting up in a hospital room for two months holding her hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you. You don't know about real loss because it only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. I look at you, I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared <laughs> kid. But you're a genius, Phil. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to you know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine, you ripped my <laughs> life apart. You're an orphan, right? You think I know the first thing about how hard your life has been, how you feel, who you are, because I read all of the twist. Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't give a shit about all that, because you know what? I can't learn anything from you. I can't read in some book. Unless you want to talk about you, who you are. And I'm fascinated. I'm in. But you don't want to do that through your sport. You're terrified what you might say. You move, Chief. things seem a little off, we know, quote unquote, how to quote the sonnets or talk about the art books or say once more into the breach, dear friends, but the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah, I, I know you're saying all the right things, but we both know that's just what you know academically, but where you actually are at could be a little lost. And I love what he says at the end. He says, if you're willing to tell me the truth, I'm fascinated by you. And I don't think we realize this is how God feels about us. Because we're stuck on some weird philosophies about how he's all-knowing. But God, like somebody in a class asked me, if God knows what we're going to ask before we ask it, then why does he want us to pray? Because he wants to hear you. That's more important to him than the content that's going to come out of your mouth. And my spiritual director always says, God wants you to tell him what it's like to be you right now. Because he's fascinated by it. And so saying, I feel lost. In my walk with you, that's where I'm at right now. Read the Psalms. David says it all the time. Saying, I'm, I'm lost in my own family. Like, I love them. I'm here. I'm faithful. But I just don't know where I am in them right now. And forget about it with ourselves. We're constantly wandering around our own self. And so I wanted to talk about a few ways, five ways, that we may be dealing with a GPS loss of location and then briefly what we can begin to do about it. So a few signs that we may be lost. And they're not in order of importance except for the first one. This is the most important one. This is the beginning of knowing that you might be dealing with some sort of personal 
disorientation or lostness, and it's this. We become wearisome of God's judgment. Now that might not sound particularly striking, but when we all of a sudden begin to feel that God is always looking at how we've lived our life and making opinions about how he feels about us based on the things we've done, we have gone to a very dark place without even knowing it. The minute we think that God's judgment is an assessment, we're lost. Our judgment of each other is an assessment. That's why it's wrong when we judge each other. We judge each other like based on the last thing we've done. Like that's how we size people up. But God's judgment is not an assessment of what we've done. It is a making right of what we've done. It's a bringing wholeness to what we've done. This is why our Old Testament or the scriptures that belong to the Jewish people are filled with them begging God for his judgment. We are like the first group of people, Jewish, Muslim, or Christian, to start running away from God's judgment. His judgment is how he's going to make you and me and the world right again. Our judgment destroys people. His judgment like, puts Humpty Dumpty back together again from our judgment. I'll give you an example. First uh, Timothy 1 verse 12. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. We'll just stay right there. There's two ways that we can read that line, he judged me faithful. The first way, the likely way we've ever read this is, he looked at my life, and he saw my heart, and even if there was some bad in my past, he saw what I was capable of, and he said, you're, I'm choosing you because you're the kind of person that can be appointed to this ministry. He judged me. He looked at my life and said, I can use this person because of what he sees in our life. But I do not believe at all that that's what Paul means when he's talking to Timothy. I think what Paul means is he judged me faithful, meaning I was a mess, and his judgment on me made me faithful. He judged me like an action word. He judged me into faithfulness. Put the rest of it. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I, this is his judgment. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So God didn't look at his life and see faith and say, I could use you. He looked at his life and saw sin and gave him faith. And said, now that you've been judged, I can use you. And so when we start to think that the way God moves in our life is rooted in assessment. That is the beginning of us maybe feeling a little bit lost. Because that's not how he operates. That's how we operate when we're not at our best. When we're at our best, we don't do that to people. We love them in ways that make them better. When we're at our worst, we call them out on all their stuff. But he's always at his best. He always is best. And so everything he does is overflowing into your life with the faith that he might not see in you, but he overflows into your life with it, 
and then says, I see you. You're chosen. That's how he is. Well, that sounds too good to be true. That's not even getting to the half of it. It's better than too good to be true. Right? And so if you're ever feeling like, oh, man, you know, if you're starting to feel an assessment on you, it's not the Lord. It's you. This happens to me all the time, and I have to remind myself, that's not, those thoughts are not from the Lord. They're my thoughts about myself that need to be found and rescued, but they're not from him. So that's one. And again, if you, there's anything you want to, yeah. the guys would not let me finish. Like, I did not get this far. It's incredible. Okay. Uh, yeah, please. So, for me, it's an awareness of every moment. The moment you wake up, for me, this is what I do, is that when I wake up in the morning, I, I say a prayer to ask for forgiveness. Because there's always this assumption that we're going to uh, step on somebody's toes, and it, especially in the business where I work. Is <laughs> but um, I believe there's a, a, the step of authenticity. If we can be authentic with ourselves, which is not an easy thing to do, um, I think for me that one step of authenticity to being aware of our surroundings, not just our surroundings, but the surroundings in our head, what's yes. going on up here, Very is, well is like you know we assume immediately assumption could be a good thing too, but I think awareness of how we think about things and how we see people and our perception to people, like um, immediately if somebody, say, cuts you off uh, in, uh, in the car, you're going to like curse. Meanwhile, you have no idea what's going on in that person's head. Maybe they have to get somewhere immediately because they were called to do so. So I, I think it's, an, for me, it's to, um, to be aware of what we're thinking and how we perceive uh, life itself because God has given us so much. So much. Yeah, so it's so beautifully said, and actually segues into the next one. And that, that's exactly it. I mean, like when we start to overly assess others, it's because we're assessing ourselves and we're deflecting. If we're overly assessing ourselves, it's Jesus would look at that and say to that voice, "Get behind me, Satan! That did not come from me. That's not how he wants us thinking about ourselves." Um, <clears throat> the next one is anger that never becomes compassion. Anger that never becomes compassion. Jesus walks into the temple. Jesus goes home. Jesus is like, man, there's a lot of money changers in that temple. And they're so packed in there that there's no room for the least of these to come and pray. So I'm going to go there tomorrow, and I'm going to make some room. And he flips tables. And people have said to me, especially our men of Salem, what do you mean, you know, Jesus lost his temper? And my response is always this. You're allowed to flip tables if you're willing to die for the people whose tables you flipped three days later. You can get mad, but the anger has to turn into compassion. God's anger always moves from anger to compassion. Always. He flips the tables and then he weeps over Jerusalem. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, blind gods, whitewashed tombs, all these things, and then, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We might be dealing with some sort of inner lostness if we get angry at ourselves, or we get angry at others, and the anger just remains anger. And it doesn't turn 
to mercy, grace, and compassion. And yeah, so I mean that that is especially over ourselves. I think that's extremely vital. Like when I get mad at me and I wake up the next day and I'm not motivated because of something I'm not happy about in myself that happened yesterday, and now this Tuesday is becoming ruined because of what happened on Monday, and my view of myself has dropped to like this very low level of disappointment and anger and frustration, and it doesn't turn to compassion. It doesn't turn to mercy, even over myself. And all of a sudden, now I'm living in Tuesday in a way that's helping me cope with this disappointment, and now everything around me gets sucked into that, and people either become help or irritation to that feeling I'm having. And that's when we might have to stop and say, I think I'm a little lost somewhere here. Because I know that God's anger is but for a moment. But his love endures, and that word endures is key. Things make him angry, but what endures is not his anger. What endures those activities that make him angry is his love. Yeah. Just while you're talking about that, I've always thought that that verse means he's angry and then he loves. But it's that he's loving the whole time. Yes. Even if he has a moment of anger, that's within his love. Yes. <clears throat> and that just kind of clicked with me, like, oh, he's not, anger isn't the antithesis of love, where you can't love, or can be angry, you can have that moment of anger within yes. love, and have it, it be something that is um, not out of order. That's right. In us, it moves from anger to, like, love causes anger to turn into compassion. So for us, it moves. But with God, his anger and his love are the exact same thing. So that's why in Revelation it talks about the wrath of the Lamb. So God in Revelation is seen as lion and he's seen as lamb. But when it talks about his anger, his anger comes not from the lion part of him, but from the lamb part of him. So his anger at us is also his atonement and forgiveness of us at the same time. Right? Like that, we, we, that doesn't compute because for us it has to move in stages. Love should cause anger, which you're not loving rightly if you don't get angry. Anger is a proper response to things that went wrong that should have went right, right? But when that anger stays angry and it doesn't turn to something more proactive, more encompassing, more, you know, engaging in the activity or the thing that you're mad at, even yourself, you know, then you might have to say, hey, I think I'm a little lost here because this, this emotion is just staying at a nine and it's not turning to something else. Does that make sense? Ask them, yeah, please. What about if the anger, sometime timing, has something to do with it? You can become angry when someone um, says the wrong thing at the wrong time. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Doing, um, let's say, grief. Someone passes away. Mm. And then another person calls you and they want to feel better about themselves, so they'll say things, you know, they haven't seen you in a while, and they'll say things to make themselves feel better. You get upset, you're patient first, and then you realize, hmm, where this is going. And then the anger comes in. Now all the time they don't move to compassion. Maybe mercy, because you realize the person was being an idiot. 
<laughs> but it don't always go to compassion. Sometimes it takes a day later, using good judgment, you know, but it don't always move yeah. to compassion. Right, and so that's a wonderful example, especially when you're in a season of stress. Mm-hmm. So grief would be a season of stress. So it's going to hit you in a certain way, and it may not creep up on you right away. Like, you could be in your feelings in another area, somebody does something, and then, like, you ever, like, get in bed, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they said that. I should, and then now you, like, spend the whole night deciding how you're going to respond to it. Keep your phone out of your hand when that is going on. But there's, there has, when we're found, when we're living in a found life, like, when we're not lost, we know the disciplines to go to, to say like, okay, you know, I know, I know I'm really mad right now, but I also know I just lost a cousin. And so I'm going to give myself three days before I respond to this. If I'm still mad in three days, then I'll begin handling it. But when we're in a season of lostness, we might start to jump on it. And so like something like be angry, okay, and do not sin. Okay. Visions of grandeur there. But how do you not sin? Ponder in your own hearts. Don't text. On your beds, not on social media. And be silent, not talking. Put your trust in the Lord. Like when we're in a found state, we'll do that quick. When we're in a lost state, if that process is taking too long, you have to pull somebody else in and say, my life got dented over here. Now this person is denting it over here. I cannot deal with these two dents without you right now. And grab somebody in there and say, you got to be my sounding board, otherwise I'm going to punch them in the face. Mm-hmm. Like Catherine said, like, when people cut me off, it's not that I don't know what they're thinking, it's just that I don't think they're thinking. Right? <laughs> That's my thing. Unless I cut somebody off, and then I did perfectly. But yeah, I mean, it's like you have to see, like, you have to know yourself to know, like, when I'm in a season of grief, this is how my body gets through it. And if you start to realize, after living with yourself for years and years and years, that I'm not getting through it, it's time to say, I'm lost, somebody get here. Like, no one can dictate to us how fast that should go. Like, we're all different. And we should have the agency in our life to say, like, I know you're saying I shouldn't be mad right now, but I'm healthy, and I know that when I'm healthy, it takes me five days. Maybe it takes you two. Good for you, but it takes me five. But all of a sudden, if, it, if it's taking me nine, then I might, be, I might be dealing with some being lost, right? And so that's a great point. But like the, the competing realities, the grief plus busyness means the next person to say something stupid to you is going to get it's not gonna get the best part of you, you know? So absolutely. Anybody else on that one? Here's one that we all love. You know you might be dealing with some lostness when there's abuse of God's creational gifts. Food, drink. Phones, entertainment, media, things that are good, things that are good for you that are overly indulged in or underly indulged in. Like those brownies. Oh, I, I can't even understand it now. First of all, I am about to do a cartwheel. I had coffee before I came here, and then Doreen brought me this. Ready to go. <laughs> Giants won. Like, the Giants won. The Jets won, the Yankees won, and the Mets won today. It's Sunday. It's Happy Easter. 
And Doreen got you your favorite flavor now. Apple uh, oatmeal. Apple oatmeal crisp, apple pumpkin, apple spice whipped cream latte. All the things. It's not even coffee. It's not even coffee. This is essentially diabetes in a cup. Plus, every, anybody, like, while we're talking, if you do want to go get whatever, please Um, Abusive creational gifts. And here's the thing. For everyone who in, overly indulges in something, there's also people, like, so one person in a season of lostness is going to overwork. Somebody else is going to not be able to get up off the couch. Right? Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to eat too much, and someone's going to start to lose a lot of weight. Right? Someone's going to spend all their time on social media, and someone else is going to disassociate even from their family. And so, overindulging is as dangerous as underindulging in something. Right? When you move away from the healthy use of God's gifts, it can be, you know, there's somebody who, when they're, this is my struggle, when I'm in a season of stress, I end up opening up to maybe a little bit too many people. And then, like, there's somebody else I know, fairly well, who when they're in a season of stress, closes down for maybe too many people. <laughs> so when we're both in a season of stress, this is problematic, because I'm like, we have to talk now. And you're like, no. <laughs> but, you know, there's, for, for everybody who overeats, there's always somebody who's like constantly fasting something. Constantly trying to give something up. Constantly saying, you know, like, I gotta give this up, I gotta give that up. And it's like, Basically condemnation because God does not give you the grace to have to always give something up or always overly indulge in it He's given us the grace to have healthy rhythms with things, mm -hmm. right? Feasting and fasting, feasting and fasting throughout the year. And so it's important to know is cre Is there something in creation that in a season of stress is holding me together in a way where without it I would fall apart it may be time to bring that up to somebody. And this, this right here, this is not in my notes. This is something Jacqueline and I just said today. I wish we had said this before yesterday morning. But right now, a symptom we're seeing in the church is people are finally speaking up when it went from code yellow to code red. People are being quiet, 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 and then finally asking for help when it is about to completely come apart. And it's like when we're healthy, when the world is not in a season of stress, when it's at level green and it's just starting to turn yellow, we go to somebody. But these days it's going yellow, orange, dark orange, like pink. It's turning red and they're like, oh, about to fall off the cliff, help! Right? And now it's like rescue operation as opposed to counseling. Right? And there's a difference there. And so encouragement from us would be, please feel free to speak up. You're not... A, whether it's to us or to anybody else, you're not a bother. You're not being needy in a negative way. This is what humans should be doing. It's just that we're all generically in a season of stress right now where it just feels weird to start opening up to people and we wait a little bit too long. But if you start to realize, like, you know, like Jack and I, we have this joke where it's like, you know, we've been eating better and then, like, we have this stressful conversation 
And it's like, while we're having it, like we meander from the living room into the kitchen and we're still having it, you know, talking smack about somebody who bothered us. And it's like, and then the cabinet's open and there's a plate of chips and sprinkle some cheese on it. It's, like, it's not happening all at once, but it's happening while we're talking. And it's like, whoa. And then we're always like, well, you know, just, I just had a bad day. I just had a bad day. I had a really bad day. And it's like, there's something actually healthy about that. Right? Where you throw a little bit of enjoyment at yourself because it's been tough. But then you have to ask yourself, could I have been myself without that grazing through my kitchen? And if you are, like Catherine said, if you're authentically honest and say, actually, I would, I would have been too grumpy with my family if I didn't eat that extra snack. Something's beginning to go wrong. Or that drink, or whatever it is. Or if you're refraining from things that would normally help, it's time to speak up. You might be dealing with some lostness there. That was supposed to be an easy one. <laughs> I think the word of the use just just pulls a lot, pulls me back. You know, yeah. Whoa, abuse. You know, Again, you have to be really super aggressive with the guys. You have to like yell a lot and stuff like that, like. They're all like looking at each other, you know, somebody's joking with somebody else. Like, I have not this, the amount of attention you're all paying is like super intimidating to me. When you're with the guys, like, it's like trying to talk in a daycare center with people just making noise. Like, there's just so much noise going on. It's really true. Like, we have to like constantly be like showing them colors and stuff. To get their attention. <laughs> so, abuse is, is essentially the misuse. Misuse, yes. The disorder, it's not being used in the way that it was intended to be. Right. If I could rewrite it, it would say, you know, an unhealthy rhythm with creational gifts. And I think so sometimes we might not be aware that we are misusing a gift God's given us until we say, okay, I am going to stop doing that for a moment. I'm not going to go to the kitchen while we're having an argument, and then <laughs> feel that actual uh, like pang, like, oh, this is actually uncomfortable to have to sit with this and deal with it. I actually have to feel myself actually, in this moment. Yes, I like but this that's what they do, right? Like they, they take your, they distract you away from feeling what you're actually feeling yeah. Yeah. in the moment. And so I think sometimes just telling yourself, no, I'm actually going to this aside, up until that point, you might think, okay, this is just, it's, it's normal, it's food, like, everyone needs food, everyone, you know, can have a donut sometime, right? Yep. But, um, <laughs> I'm just laughing because yesterday, I, and to I got myself a special treat, <laughs> the chocolate uh, covered Edmunds, and I, I said to Bill, did you Another donut? She blamed me for eating the donut that we were saving for Sophia. Yes, I was like, did like, you have that donut? donut? And no. then I was like, oh no, wait, I did. <laughs> we were so in the middle of a conversation that was like really important to both of us. I was just sitting there eating it, and I was like, how could I eat that other donut without even realizing it. And then when but, she blamed me, I had to have one because that stressed me out. Right. So this, this whole thing is making me laugh right now for that reason. Yes. I was nervous when it came up because I work here on Saturday. <laughs> but I, I do think like sometimes
sometimes we can say, this is just not an issue for me. And if we just put it on pause for a minute and we feel that discomfort, we can realize, okay, maybe I am relying on this more than I thought. Well, it's the funny example when we were doing the Bible study at that person's house in Peekskill. And there was yeah. somebody there that asked us about alcoholism. And they're like, how would you define alcoholism? And I said, well, if you need to have any to function normally, even if it's a glass of wine, if you have to have it to be yourself, you're probably bordering on alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And they were like, no, I don't think that's true. And I, I knew this person, I knew this person really well. Like they're they were friends of our family. And I said, well, we're ha there's a wedding in our family next weekend. Prove to me that you're right. At this wedding, just don't have anything to drink. Just one wedding, don't have anything to drink. They never came back to the Bible study. <laughs> right? But, like, that's the thing. Like, so you know how uh, Robin Williams said, like, you can quote all this stuff. Like, the person can say, I've never been buzzed. I'm not, surely I'm not, I'm not lost. I've never even been buzzed. Right? But without that one thing, you can't be yourself. Like, you can have fun with something if you can be yourself with it. But if you need it to be yourself, You've gone into an upside-down place. Mm -hmm. If it holds you together, if it keeps you found, and it's something that is creational, it the the word in the business is that becomes an idol, mm -hmm. right? And so, and it can, like you said, work in the opposite sense, where if you're always giving something up, right? Like food is the easy example. If you never want to eat because you you know have a disorder or you're you know don't want to work through the emotions of it, if you say to yourself, okay, I am going to have a piece of food and not, you know, do anything about it and feel that discomfort, that could also be a sign as well, right? So it could yeah, work in when we, when we did a New Believers class in the 2010, somebody that came was like, uh, I just, I need, I need you to pray for me. I've been trying to fast chocolate for 15 years. And I'm like, stop trying. Like, God has not given you the grace to do this if you've been failing at it for 15 years. Like, he's not doing this to you. You're doing this to you. Enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like, there's just that sense where it's like, it can be these two extremes, like manic eating and then like manic refraining. Both of them can be very unhealthy. Very unhealthy. And a sense that you're trying to stabilize yourself. And when you're trying to stabilize yourself, you quickly get lost. Because we can't. We need each other, and obviously we need the Lord to stabilize us. Well, and I think it's too also the, our perception of each other. Each, each person has their own perception of whatever it is in your life, be it, be it whatever it is, the, the creation it is, the, the compassion, the judgment, everything of God. I mean, our perception... And then when we speak to each other, we help each other. When we talk about our perception yeah. of God, I think. It's, we're helping each other find our way, perceive to the root. Another air time, there's two left. Another one where you might be dealing with lostness is a refusal to accept life's seasons. Mm. A refusal to accept life's seasons. None of us would get together as Pentecostal as we want to be and say, we're going to have a prayer meeting right now and make we're going to not leave the church until summer extends itself for another two months. 
We're just going to yell and yell and yell and fast and fast and pray and John and Steph are going to jam and jam and jam. And we're not leaving until it's going to be summer through December. Like, you can't make it happen. The seasons change. The next one comes. Uh, Ian, can you go to uh, Jeremiah 8? My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick within me. Behold the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not safe. This is a prophet priest telling the truth about the season that they're in. This season that we're in, the summer is past, the harvest has ended, and it is not what it's supposed to be. And that harvest isn't coming back for a year. It's like he's telling the truth. Work cannot get done if we deny the season we're in. We might be in a season of strong growth in our marriage, and it's time to get things done. You might be in a season of unbelievable stress in your marriage, and it is time to release yourselves of a lot of extra stuff and focus on the fundamentals in seasons of stress. But if we act like it's unfaithful to be in a season of stress, even with ourselves, with our families, with our jobs, whatever the case is, even in our walk with the Lord, if we think it's unfaithful to confess that something is unhealthy, we're denying what the prophets are teaching us to say, like, if you don't say the summer is ended, you'll never be able to say, lo, the winter is past. Mm. Right? Like, you can't get to, lo, the winter is past if you don't say the summer has ended. So whether it's a season relationally in life, whether it's a season with just aging and getting older, whatever the season is, if we try to ignore what our body is telling us in a season, thinking that it's unfaithful to be stressed or feel unhealthy or feel depressed or whatever it is, we're doing deep damage to ourselves because God, Jesus, always stands in the truth. And if, if the truth is here and I'm acting like it's over there, Jesus will wait for me in the truth of where I'm at, waiting for me to get there. He will keep leading me back to the admission of my actual truth and moment. You cannot... I, re, I remember this time that we were lost. Yeah, we were at a casino. Fine, whatever, don't judge me. And my, we were lost in the casino, which they do on purpose. And my mom was looking at one of those big screens that has a map, you know, it says, you are here. And she kept going, okay, so we're here. Okay, so Frank, we're here. This is where we are. It's like, oh, we know we're here. We're right here, we're right here. That's not, like, until you can say, I'm here, you cannot go anywhere else and be found. You have to say, I'm here. And here might be, I'm just, I don't feel the vibrancy I used to feel. I don't feel as romantic to my spouse as I used to feel. I don't really honestly care right now whether or not God wants me to pick up my Bible or not, if we just we just have to say the truth. Like Psalm 88 is the only psalm that doesn't end with resolve. It's called Haman's Cry of Darkness. And it just ends in bleak, have you forgotten me? And then it ends. Because sometimes it's there because sometimes that's our prayer life is saying, you're not here. I can't find myself. 
all these things that used to be good in my life, they're not good right now. I'm dealing with a deep sense of depression, dark night of the soul. And then you got to get up and go to work. But you have to, you cannot deny the season you're in. Literally, if you're denying the season you're in, you are lost. You have to say the truth of it. Help comes when we worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then finally, when our worship, and I'm specifically talking about Sunday, plus, when our worship is relic, not curation. I looked up curation because it didn't sound like it was right, and I knew you'd be saying this. It is a word. Curation. You know? You have me so nervous that I'm... Fine. Ready? I'm going to give you one. When you're nowhere, as Randy would say, when you're nowhere, you're now here. She hates when we do that. She doesn't like Randall Worley. She's rebellious against our overstatement. I love Randall Worley. Randall Worley makes up his own words all the time. When our worship is relic, when our worship is a thing of the past, when, when if somebody says, like, show me your best worship, and you have to, like, go to a museum and say, yeah, like, 20 years ago, look at it. It was great. Something's going wrong when, when our best worship is behind us. Now, I've said this many times, and it's important to say it again, we are a convergent church. We have a lot of different personalities, a lot of religion, different religious Christian religious backgrounds here. And so this isn't a singular charismatic church anymore. It's a church that's filled with Orthodox background, Catholic background, Greek background, Pentecostal background, Reformed background. And so what I'm looking for is I don't think the room is ever going to be like this unified, jumping up and down kind of charismatic place because we're a melting pot of different Christian backgrounds. But what I do want to see is everyone doing what they do at a 10. You know, being your best worshiping self, be in with the Holy Spirit the way that he designed you to be in with him. Right? And when that heat, that passion, that excitement is more an artifact in a museum than it is something you're always curating in your soul, there may be some lostness. And that's why God keeps throwing Sunday at us. Because it's not just, Sunday isn't just like a way to bless him or a way to bless others. It's also his way of showing us where we're at. What's happening in us. Right? And so, I'm not going to, you know, yes, part of our worship is getting here on time. Just let that be what it is. Um, But just the way we get here, the way that we wake up in the morning. Like, I've been messing with our elders, saying, I'm, I'm, well, it's now because the sun's rising later, but I'm like, I'm beating the sun, guys, and I'm sending them pictures at, like, 5, 10 in the morning if I put my old. So annoying if you're trying to sleep in. But it's like, David said, I will, I will wake the dawn. And like, I'm, we're not saying you have, you're not healthy if you're not getting up before the sun, but there's something to be said about waking up and not, not like, like going to a place to do your devotionals. Like not rolling over and grabbing your phone from the end table and rolling back under the covers and reading something. But like getting dressed, sitting at a table and saying, I'm about to get dressed for work. I'm about to get dressed to bring the kids to school. I'm about to get dressed for these things. Lord, I'm going to get dressed for you too before I come meet with you. It's just a posture of respect. It's a posture of I'm in this. I'm ready for this. 
I'm ready to do something here. Like those kinds of things, like they're not the make it or break it things. It's not about salvation. It's not even about will you be blessed or not. It's about are you being the best you and is all of you coming out and being poured out before him? And if it's not, if all of these things, like if you're one of them or two of them or all of them, this is not now you're cursed. This is God is going to be interacting with you based on where you're at in these things. And you'll miss him if we deny that some of these things are true of us. He's seeking and saving the lost. And if you keep saying you're found, we won't be open to his finding of us. So it's not about blessing or curse. It's not about, like, you're getting less out of life if this is you. This is Jacqueline and I trying to say, this is all of our life. We're always being found. We're always wandering, and we're always being found. And we would do well to acknowledge that this is going to be true of us all at once or in every given year. We're going to go through this stuff. And it's important to be able to say, this isn't wrong. I'm not wrong for this. This isn't sinful. This is how he works with me. So I just want to give you three things to do as a beginning, and then we'll be done. Ways to navigate seasons of lostness. And the last one could be a little triggering. It wouldn't be a post-Sunday extra thing if I didn't try to trigger someone. So you try to be nice on Sundays, except when you talk about money like I did today. And then you try to trigger people on extra, extra ones. Tried to trigger the guys, they were unimpressed. Maybe you'll get mad at me, so we'll see. Number one, ways to navigate seasons of lostness. Number one, when you're in a season of stress or lostness, have, your goal should be to have no zero days. So let's say it's working out, and you are on this plan where you're, I don't know, you're jogging for 30 minutes a day, or you're doing stretching for an hour a day, or you're doing something, and then you hit that season of stress. And it's like, there's no way. I'm going. In those moments, do not hold yourself to the standard of what your best self, but do something. Don't have a zero day. Do something. If you're trying to, if you're trying to read, like I said to the guys, you're trying to read 12 books a year, book a month. And you get, to, you get to April and you realize that's going to go from 12 to about 4. And you already know you're behind. Here's the thing. Don't stop reading. Just don't have a zero year. Read one. If the best you can do is read a couple of pages, just don't have a zero day. I'm, doing, I'm reading my Bible through in a year. And then you get to, like, you know, February and you're like, I'm, like, 32 days behind. It's like, I'm not just, you know what you do? Don't try to catch up. Just don't have a zero day. Read a passage. Read a psalm. Read a, one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That would be helpful. Re just don't have zero days. Don't. Nothing is too small for that either, right? So if you can't bring yourself to even read a chapter, a verse, a, a verse. phrase, you know, something small, right? Like mm -hmm. instead of doing your 30 minute workout, if you get off the couch and you literally can only do one push up, touch your toes. You've done something. Yep. And those things add up eventually, but it's also just, like you said, helping yourself navigate through the day of feeling that you're lost in it. On Saturday, we said, you know, Ian made the joke. He's like, you know, sometimes when I'm in a season of stress, I'll put something on a post-it, and it'll be like, eat. <laughs> All right, I did that. Right? Like, I accomplished something today, right? And then one of the other guys was like, man, 
that post-it idea is so good, but I feel so depressed these days, now I gotta go buy post-its. <laughs> right? And it was just like, alright dude, write it on whatever is near you. Like, take, cut a piece of the tablecloth off and write it on that. Like, just don't have a zero there. But you know what's funny? What that person said is actually unbelievably helpful. They heard this great thing about write down three easy things to do when you're in a season of stress. Write them down on a post-it, put it on your refrigerator, check them off, easy things, simple things. And then, and his thought was, now I have to go buy post-its. That comment turned into about a 45 minute discussion with he and I after about what depression does to you, especially when it first hits you. Your brain starts to go in layers. Now I gotta go buy post-its. I was supposed to pick up a birthday present. Now I gotta go buy post-its and a birthday present. Oh man, we're a little bit tight financially. How am I gonna get these? It's like, whoa, that's depression. Depression does that to you. It layers your thinking and it never stops, kind of like post-it notes, right? It just sticks everything together. And it was so great that he said that out loud. That joke was him saying, here I am. I actually am at the point now where when I hear that great idea about post-it notes, I'm thinking, I don't want to go buy them. That's where my motivation's at. My goodness gracious, so healthy, so healthy. So no zero days. Do something, even something small. Um, this is coming from one of our elders. Do one thing at a time. When you're in a season of growth, you can, I'll tell you for me, when I'm in a season of growth, I can be writing a sermon and have my phone out at work, and somebody will text like, hey, pastor, I'm going through something, I need you, and I can call, have the conversation, and get right back to where I was. Boom, 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 boom. When I'm in a season of stress, I have to put this away when I'm writing a sermon, because I will never come back to this the way that I have to. Right? I have to do one thing at a time. And your gut is saying, somebody needs you. Or if you, if you do this one thing, but you neglect this thing, it's all going to fall apart. If you start to spread yourself in a season of stress, you're going to end up trying to do a lot of things and really end up doing nothing. <laughs> right? Or maybe breaking things. Right? I'll be half writing and half talking to him, but never fully giving myself to either. And so just these, these are, again, these are not like from the Bible, the last one's going to be, but these are just ideas, just ways to say, I'm disoriented, so today, I have the whole house to clean, it's Saturday, I waited all week to get to this, and I get out of bed Saturday, and of course, I just feel a deep sense of sorrow. I cannot get over myself. Make the bed and sit down. Just get something done. Just one thing. It's better than nothing. The difference between getting nothing done and getting one out of a hundred things done is an enormous difference. Nothing versus one thing is a big difference. It's leaving you with something to hang your hat on in a tough season. All right, you ready? And finally, we have to look at the cross. We have to look at the cross. Ian, Ian, Ian has left the children. Speaking of signs of the cross, <laughs> we're at looking at the cross. Go in there and yes. So <clears throat> Jesus says in John three, as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole. This is we're closing right here. This is it. As Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, so the Son of Man might be lifted up. 
must be lifted up. And when you read back to Moses, God said, whoever looks at the serpent is healed. So Jesus is saying, the way that I was raised up on the cross is the same as the way the serpent was raised up on the pole, meaning you have to look at me on the cross to believe. Well, that's great for the eight people who were there, but what do we do? Right? And so what the church has done way before the Roman Catholic Church is the church has used the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as a way of being able to see the cross in moments of stress and strength. Like one, one uh, author that I was reading, getting ready for this, said, when you're in a season where everything is spinning, look at the cross. And one of the ways that they've done that is to do the sign of the cross. Now, I went to, I've gone to nine Mets games this year, and I went to two this week. And every single time at a Mets game, there's a part where they play Star Spangled Banner. And we stand there, and we put our hand over our heart. Is this superstitious, or is it respectful? It's respectful to do this. And then they have, you know, while that's happening, they usually have, like, a wounded hero that they acknowledge. And it's, it's a lot of pomp and circumstance, and it's respectful to take your hat off and to put your hand over your heart. If we're willing to do something like this for a fallen flag that is not the kingdom of God, how much more, like, why is it wrong to do something that is representing, right, the eternal kingdom? And, and you do your homework on this. In Ezekiel 9.4, God says to Ezekiel, go throughout the land, and anyone who is downtrodden, mark their forehead. Okay? Well, when you look up the word mark in the Hebrew, it means a sign that reveals that you've passed through judgment. Well, what is the sign that God's left us with that we've passed through judgment, if not the cross? So he said to Ezekiel, go mark their head with a cross to remind them that when they're downtrodden, I am going to come and lift them up again. And so... The other night, Theo had 103.5 fever. Kid wasn't doing good. Jacqueline's holding him. He's freaking out. And she prays, you know, Lord, heal him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And she does it like five times. And guess what happened to his fever? It stayed. <laughs> but guess what happened to Jacqueline? She got filled with a new sense of what it means to hold a sick baby like Jesus holds the church. Something about the cross and seeing it, seeing yourself do it, pulls you into the Jesus, like Jesus said, how I want to hover over you like a mother hovers over her chicks. And here's Jacqueline holding a sick baby. And she was, it went from, I can't believe I'm up in the middle of the night to, this is the only thing that I want to do right now. And I was like, thank God for the sign of the cross. Because <laughs> I don't want to I'm a horrible person. But doing that, there are times, before, I'll tell you this, before I do every single talk I've ever given since I've become the pastor here, just before I walk into the room, I do it every single Sunday, I say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and anoint me for this task of the ministry that you've given me to bring glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. That's it. And there's just something about it that takes whatever's going on for me at the moment, all these thoughts, things, it's just, whoop, this is it now. doesn't matter how many people are there. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what happened before or what I know is coming after this. It zones me in. It zones me in. And here's what it all means. 
the reason why they did the sign of the cross is because everything proceeds from the Father, right? Jesus has come down for us, and then this is really cool. You bring your hand up, you go from the Father to the Son who came down from heaven, you bring your hand up a little bit because he rose from the dead, and then originally you go to the left side first and then to the right side. Well, the right side represents him seated at the right hand of the Father. But going to the left first is representative of when he descended into hell and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. So it reminds us that his love, like David said, when I make my bed in hell, you're there. And when I make my bed in heaven, you're there. Right? And so that's, it's, we think, and we believe, and we're learning more, that these prayers, especially ones that involve something with your body, like the sign of the cross, it will orient you very quickly in a moment when you desperately need it. Let's stand and pray. The sign of the cross is only superstitious if you think it does something magical for you. It just reminds you. That's all it does. Let me just pray over you for a moment. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father God, I thank you for bringing us to the completion of this day. Thank you for all the ways that you've ministered to us. Thank you for everybody in this room. I thank you that we get to be in this room right now, Father God. It's wonderful to be able to sit down and have these meetings together again. I pray that you hold everyone here in the palm of your loving hand uh, this week as they go about their week. I pray that you would remind them that you know them and see them and are for them and that you create an unpolluted atmosphere around us that would make us feel comfortable telling the truth to you, to ourselves, and to people that we trust about where we're at and how we're actually doing and that we would truly be able to tell you how we're doing and hear who you are for us in the midst of how we're doing. And so I, I just ask that you would just add that little bit of truth to our prayer life this week, the freedom to be honest about where we are and where we may be lost, and then the joy of all of the surprising ways that you find us through many, many different avenues, texts, phone calls, something somebody says, a movie we're watching. You want to burst into our life to find us in millions of different ways, and what you're looking for is for us to say, I think I might be lost. And so, for those of us who are, I pray that we would be honest. And for those of us who are not, I pray that we would use our season of strength or growth to be stable for people who may not feel stable right now, especially in this body, and that we can help maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.